All right, everyone, welcome back to the Raptor Show. Season preview week continues. A reminder, we're back on air next week, Monday, October 17th, 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you follow us on our new Twitter account, at the Raptor Show. So earlier this week, I had a chance to talk to Trey Kirby and Tass Malis to preview the Eastern Conference, went through these tiers that I made up, and today I've got another special guest, Jay Caspian Kang, who is a staff writer at The New Yorker, author of The Loneliest Americans, which I read earlier this year, highly recommend, uh, lent it to Will. Will, please finish reading and give it back to me soon. Um, Co-host of the Time to Say Goodbye podcast, and also directed a 30 for 30 doc that's coming out, I believe, next year about Michael Chang. I think it's called American Son. Jay Kang, how are you, man? Good, good. That was very flattering introduction. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, um, you know, when people have strong resumes, um, you just have <laughs> to like list them out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like that, that came that out what... weird. I feel like <laughs> that came what... out. I felt like that <laughs> sounded like me saying like, yo, thank you for, for, for saying how awesome I am. <laughs> Don't you think that's like 30% of just like putting in the work in like any industry? So you can get like a strong intro off top on a pod. <laughs> yeah. No, don't you yeah. think so though? Like that's oh, like yeah. those are your like those are your badges, right? Like right there. Yeah, yeah. I it's uh it does cross people's minds, I think, a lot, including mine. You know, like you don't want to do too much, right? You don't want to list everything, but you want like the four things you list to be like, oh, I was proud of that. Um, but yeah, thank you. I am proud of the things that you you mentioned, and so I'm very happy to be introduced that way. Yeah, so I don't know if you know this, but like anytime Will's not here and I'm doing the podcast, um, you know, one of the things I try to do is just, you know, not talk about basketball for as long as possible. Um, so I actually just want to dive into some of those things I listed out because I know I saw, so The Loneliest Americans out on paperback now today. I today, so, yeah. yeah. I saw a tweet as we're recording on on Tuesday. And I think I was following this a little bit and on your podcast too, Time to Say Goodbye, that, that people should subscribe to is um you got like a lot of backlash is that what happened can i get like the cole's notes version of what the backlash was hey, about? what's cole's notes is that like oh it's Canadian like cliff notes. notes is this cliff uh, notes in the in, in the u.s yeah yeah it's cole's yeah, notes sorry. in canada this is like when people this is like when people ask about this is like when people ask about venmo like we still don't have venmo here in canada like it's weird <laughs> yeah uh yeah cole's so let's notes. let's get let's get the canadian cole's notes on on uh what was the backlash toward towards this book Oh, well, you know, I think like some of it was expected and understandable just because I think I was writing quite a bit about how I, you know, the book in some ways is a critique of identity politics as it's practiced today, not not the concept itself. Obviously, people, you know, um, identify with a group and that's very important to them. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but um you know, the way that it's been sort of distributed by academics or by journalists, by media people, and the sort of narrative that happens that, you know, Asian America is this kind of radicalized political group and a classification and that, um, you know, it harkens back to all of this history. And for me, you know, like, I don't know, like, just didn't really ring true with most of the Asian people I know who like, don't think of themselves as being radicals they don't really think of themselves even as being like asian american or even i don't know how it is in canada right but like uh you know is there like an asian canadian identity up there like that that people really 
respond to or are people more like, I don't know, I'm from like China or I'm from Korea or something like that? Yeah, I think a lot of immigrants here do form that identity, like in terms of like, you know, having a community of like Asian Canadians who who kind of just speak out, you know, against the different issues and then make themselves um, visible in the community. So so I think I think it's probably similar here, I want to say for a lot of pockets. Right. I went up to I've been to Toronto twice now. And man, I would say there's like a ton of Asian people there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, that's, that's a great. Uh, that's a great generalization. But it's also <laughs> true. No, that's especially not, <laughs> no, like, especially not, you, know, like you have a barometer in your head when you go yeah. places and you're like, how many Asian people are here? So if you go to like, Bismarck, North Dakota or something, you're like, well, I don't know. (laughs) No, because I grew up up in Markham, uh, which is like an uptown neighborhood here. And I think there was an article a couple of years ago where, you know, Markham's like the third largest like Chinese population in like North America. Oh, Um, really? In in terms of cities. Yeah, it's like that. It's like Markham. And then it's like whatever area like Jeremy Lin grew up in. Um, oh yeah like like was one of them silicon valley san jose area yeah yeah like that area and then there was another city as well and yeah like when i i immigrated here from hong kong with my parents when i was like when i was like eight like in 92 Mm. and when i went to school like uh grade three oh third grade yeah see these are all the canadian u.s differences um in third grade um like 80 percent of my class were were immigrants from china and hong kong like I, I didn't honestly, like, I know this is, I'm kind of exaggerating, but I like did not think about being a minority or think of myself as being a minority until like at least like high school university. Like, right. I just didn't have to think about it. I mean, that's one of the things that sort of takes place in the book, right? Which mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. a lot of these ways in which people think about identity are sort of done in college or later, because when you're growing up, they're either not a pressing question to you, but like you certainly don't think of yourselves as like uh, as like a racial group, right? Like if you're different than you, and and you're one of the only people there, or if you're like facing a lot of adversity, um, you do. But that for a lot of I think people in North America who are immigrants from Asia, especially if they live in enclaves like you grew up in, right? Like um, you were like probably the majority in your school, you know, <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's definitely true in like San Jose, like that area, right? Like there are schools that are like 70%, 60% Asian. And so like those people have a very different understanding of how identity works, right? And there's a lot of them, right? And like, they're very different, I think, than sort of the people who come up and, um, you know, have a big microphone and um, talk about like, Oh, well, it's this, this, and this, right? And so I just pointed this out in this book. And um, I said, and you know, the people who said, well, it's about this, this, and this, like got really mad about it. And I understand that part of it, right? But it kind of like spiraled out of control. People are like calling me like a white supremacist and stuff oh like that, gosh. which like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that was like very weird, you know, but um, and people are like going through all of my like, uh, interviews and stuff like that and like lying about stuff that I had said and it just got extremely weird for a while but you know in the long term I think it was like like actually a good thing to have happen just because it made the it put a lot of attention around the book but it and it's not like just like oh well any press is good press type of thing but like I never not sound like I don't want to sound like 
like, I don't think I'm wrong, right? Or else I wouldn't have written the book. And so it's okay to have like a big conversation and disagreement about it. Um, the only parts that were strange to me was when it got like deeply personal, you know, like people like saying, oh, he's like voice is so annoying. And like, you know, like stuff like that. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't help it, you know? Um, but, uh, but, you know, like most of, mostly that was just like random stuff on Twitter, but yeah, no, there was a, there was quite a big backlash about it, but, um, you know, which I was somewhat anticipating, but not maybe anticipating at that intensity. Yeah, I almost feel like, though, in a way, like, don't you think some of that backlash, like, maybe spark some discussions that maybe you even want it to come out of, like, what you wrote anyways? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, if I just, like, I, you know, I, I'm somewhat a confrontational person. And so, like, if the per if the book had come out and nobody had talked about it and I gotten, like, five reviews that were just, like, a pat on the back saying, like, oh, this is a very interesting book about Asians and Asian. It's important because Asians are, like, a minority group and, like, it's good that they're giving voice to their issues. You know, I would have felt like a mass, like I had failed, right? Because, like, nobody, as nobody should want those types of reviews because they're just basically just, like, I'm going to pat you on the head. Now, like, you know, it's not our fault that that type of review economy exists, right? Like, definitely not our fault. But... It does exist. And like generally when you see a book that's sort of treated that way, it just means that the book is sort of saying what everybody else says and that like people don't want to like get canceled for for like reviewing a book by somebody from like a, you know, minority group in a in a harsh way. Right. But um, overall, you know, like I, I just thought it was all very like in the end, it was like bright to have that conversation. You know, like uh, it was good to hear from. Asian American studies scholars, and th that was a group who was the maddest at me. But like over time, you know, and like a lot of them ended up sort of having a very good faith disagreement, and that sort of stuff. I really value those types of conversations, right? Like, uh, like, and you know, I'm in contact with some of them still, and like, I don't think that we're not exactly friends, but like, we're gonna have a conversation over the next however many years. And like, I really respect their side of it, right? It's not like, a, and that, that's what I wanted when the book came out. Like I was trying to sort of throw some bunches there. And so like, it would be silly for me to just be like, oh no, <laughs> you know, like, like how dare you get mad at me? So um, yeah, it was all very positive. Yeah, no, we, we have a lot of a lot of Asian listeners on the show, but also non-Asians can can go check out this book, but definitely check out uh, Loneliest Americans. And I think, you know, as a consumer of this content, you know, I just I just really love the book because, you know, I've always felt like, especially in the last maybe like five to 10 years as like, you know, Asians have gotten more of a quote unquote, like spotlight in the mainstream and these conversations are taking place. I feel like we're just like running on a treadmill a lot of times and just like, just like having the same conversations all the time and right. just like kind of just like scratching the surface. And I really feel like like the stories that you told and the perspectives that you brought was, was really interesting. Um, and it was just different. Like I'm reading, um, Hua Su. Am I pronouncing his name right? Um, well, I, I always have Shu. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm reading his book right now. Say true. And I know it's more of a, I guess, you know, it's more of a personal kind of memoir book, but, but I just love that there are these different perspectives now being, being brought like from, you know, writers, obviously of, of your caliber. And like, I was just thinking too, cause like, I don't know if you watch that new Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity doc. I know Lin Sanity was always a big deal for all of us. Um, you know, 38 at the garden and I saw the trailer for it. And I just feel like it was just the same conversations again. 
And like, I don't know <laughs> if it's because I'm just sick of like, I, like, you know, I don't know if I'm just like tired of the same conversations about insanity. But I'm just like, I don't I don't want to hear another doc about just like, oh, how Asians are supposed to be like doctors and lawyers. But this guy was a basketball player. I just feel like there's something more. Like there's just right. gotta be. I haven't more seen to the, the documentary, so I don't yeah. want to speak on it. But like, no, of course. Uh, yeah. But I, but like the general vibe of what you're saying is like I totally agree with. Like I don't, like I just thought it was strange that ten, the 10 year anniversary of Linsanity took place. I like, wish it was like crazy to me. I feel like that shot he hit against the Raptors happened like last week, you know, or, like <laughs> two years ago or something like that. Yeah. And. uh and that it did seem like the conversation was kind of the same, right? Like it was very polite and it was very about representation and, um, you know, like, and then it was also very like, kind of like segregated in a way in which like, I thought that was also interesting because it wasn't just Asian people who were excited about Jeremy Lin, you know, it was like the whole country was crazy about Jeremy Lin and to just sort of do this like almost narcissistic navel gazing like well what did jeremy lynn mean to me type of thing like i agree it's a little bit tired right um and uh i think there's a lot more maybe there just it wasn't too much to say about it because it was a short period of time but what i found interesting recently is that jeremy himself we interviewed jeremy for the michael chang documentary he's in the film right and um hmm. he is just so reflective now in this very introspective way and I don't know if it's in the 38 at the Garden documentary or not, um, but just because I haven't been able to watch it yet. But, um, you know, he's very he's very reflective and like honest about that period of time and like, you know, the things about it that bothered him. Right. Like he didn't want to be pigeonholed as being like the Asian. Guy. Like he was like four days ago, I was like sleeping on my brother's couch. I wasn't getting any playing time. And the only people who ever had heard of me are like hardcore Asian hoop heads, you know? And now I'm like so famous. And the only thing people are saying is like, oh my God, he's Asian, you know? Like that is like a real mind fuck, I think for anybody who like went through that process. And so, um, you know, like I actually think that like he is the most interesting voice on all of that now. And that, um, you know, people who are trying to process our our identity issues through him are a little bit less interesting to me. That said, um, I don't know. I think the third, I went to the 38 at the garden game, you know, um, I went with like Rembert Brown, who was working with me at Grantland at the time. I will say it was like a religious experience for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, like in tears. <laughs> Friday night, like Friday night at the garden, like against Kobe and the Lakers. Oh like God, Kobe, yeah. Kobe saying that he didn't, didn't know who he was. Yeah. Like, all of that stuff. And I, yeah. I mean, like, even just Derek Fisher just getting cooked that whole night. It was I like know, Derek Fisher I and know. Steve Blake, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was like, it was, I, at some point, I like blacked out, you know, but I still do remember being there. And um, I think, I think it was like, it was funny because it was like all the Asian sports writers were there, you know? Yeah. It was like Pablo was there. All these people were there. Oh, yeah. Pablo, I mean, like, Pablo was writing like two Sports Illustrated cover stories back to back at the time. Yeah. 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 We were down, we were all there and it was like a Asian revival um, there. The only other time I've been around so many Asian reporters when I was reporting on the Harvard Affirmative Action case. And that was much less of a, you know, jubilant experience yeah I was, it was the same thing where i looked around i was like oh my god it's all the asians and then we all just started laughing about it but yeah no i think and i think you'll remember this too like the, the i think the two two like in terms of like pop culture 
experiences related to Asians. Like for me, like it's it's tied between like actually I'll put Linsanity first, but to me it's like Linsanity and then it was when MC Jin was making his run oh, uh, yeah, on 106 yeah. and Park, like Freestyle Friday. It's like those are the two that I remember the most. So you remember that? How old are you? I was born in 84. Oh, so yeah, so you yeah, do remember I was, it. Yeah, yeah, I was big hip hop head in like the 90s, so like I definitely remember that run when when it was happening. Like it was a huge deal. I know. I know. I watched that. That was like, that was for me, like that was the, the insanity, you know, because I think I was younger and, um, all I really cared about at the time was listening to rap music. And I watched BET, like, I don't know, every day after school. And then he came and it was wild. Um, I think people sort of forget about it, you know, because of the way that, uh, I don't know, you know, I have these theories about it, but like, I just think that maybe there aren't that many or the people who sort of write about Asian American identity. I don't know if they're really all, if they're all people who grew up listening to rap music, but like some of these representation conversations that take place, you know, if you grew up listening to rap, like it's a little bit different, you know, like, um, like we did kind of have representation in rap in the nineties and the aughts, you know, like it's, it wasn't like we never saw somebody who looked like ourselves, like Jin was around, you know? Like yeah. Shout Chad out to Duke, the mountain Chad. brothers, man. Right, man. The mountain brothers. Like, <laughs> I know you know these deep cuts. <laughs> yeah. I love the mountain brothers, you know? Uh, they basically like remade, um, they're basically like remade DJ premier beats, you know, like it was a lot of like scratching and like heavy bass. And then they like, uh, and, um yeah i love those guys i think they're still i think one of them is still producing right now like i I don't think like they're all sort of out of out of the game now um but you know you had like the scratch pickles for example like all the filipino dj culture right like the Mm -hmm. all of them Mm -hmm. started coming up you had dan the automator you had like all these people and so yeah if you grew up listening to rap and you got to go through like gin on 106 and park and like all the sort of intrigue when he joined rough riders and like what's his op gonna be like right like um you kind of had the preview of insanity you know it kind of went the same way everyone went crazy and then there's like a slight backlash and then you're worried you're kind of wondering like why does everyone hate this guy now you know <laughs> and then it died down you know and then he uh put out an album that nobody liked that why i think why didn't why yeah why clef why clef ruined so many careers he ruined jen's career he ruined cannabis's career that was my favorite rapper growing up oh my god yeah <laughs> that was my first favorite rapper yeah, i always looked remember? at <laughs> i remember his battle with ll like that was amazing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, so do you remember the last part of the the most forgotten part of the LL cannabis battle, which was that um, when because remember in like I think it was like the Ripper Strikes Back or something like that, where um, LL, who by the way like absolutely destroyed cannabis in this battle, right? Like um, goes you think so? Walking think around second, with like a you don't Bob think Mar- you, don't, you don't think second round knockout was a was a good was a good diss track? I thought it was good, but it was not as good as like the Ripper Strikes Back, which I, you know, because you know he did like, go, the big... he did go pretty hard, yeah. But also, yeah, LL the... just had LL just had like the he had the advantage just because he was LL, like he had just a bigger stature. Yeah, he's like... also like the greatest battle rapper of all time. I think. I mean, like the the like he got because when Cannabis' big line, like his sort of like you know where all the all the bass drops out and the drum trays drop out, and then. He goes like ninety nine percent of your fans were high heels or whatever, right? Yeah. And then LL in the next 
track goes like uh 99 of your fans don't exist that was really good <laughs> yeah you know what that, that, that's, <laughs> that's really hard really <laughs> yeah that, that, that's really hard and like ll basically was just like like the reason why i thought l won that so clearly was basically just like cannabis was just like listen man like i don't care that you're like uh, this like super buff rich guy that all the ladies love, you know, and then like LL's <laughs> was like, Yes, all that is true of me. Who are you? And, and also you have no fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have no fans. You're yeah. just some you're just some skin. Oh, so he's also Canadian, right? Cannabis. Um, no, no, I don't think so. No, oh, no, I, I think I feel, he is. I feel like if it was Canadian, I, I would rep him, but like I did look him up recently and he's been like, I guess putting out music. Yeah. He's originally he from the Bronx. So he's still putting out music. Um, oh, I listen and, and to I, a lot of it. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Maybe Every I should time check he it out. tweets something where he's like, I have a new song out. I just listen to it for fun. Just cause I want to see how weird it's gotten. I assume that like by this point he would be exclusively rapping about Bitcoin, you know? And it's like kind of true. But it's not, he, he, yeah, it's he, not he, entirely he, true. He does seem like he was going down that like, Kyrie slash like conspiracy theory path like yeah. you, you, could, you could see that like very early on but that that was like the most disappointing album when, when he put out his debut yeah but that was I think it, yeah. although some of the songs are okay like I like that Buckingham Palace song on that but like it was it was uh it didn't really work and then he was just trying to start fights with everybody and then that didn't really work and then um, but the but why Clef? Do you remember his song? What's Clef got to do with it? And then <laughs> yes, <title>? yes, I <laughs> remember all of this. I remember all of this. Yeah. What's Clef got to do with it? <laughs> That's also like the saddest response. You know, no, that, like, hey, no, that was I'm just that standing was here. <laughs> no, that was terrible. But you know what? Why Clef? The Carnival was a really good album. Is, is oh man, why the Fuji's album's great too. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Know, like he's clearly. I just think maybe he got overextended or something like that. Um, but. He definitely shouldn't have. I don't know if anyone would have saved. Like, could Jin have put out a good album with a better producer? Absolutely, you know. But was Jin going to, like, put out a classic? I don't know. It's just hard for battle rappers to put out, like, classic albums sometimes, right? Because um, sometimes they don't have all that much to say. And I think Jin at that point was, like, so young and everything had happened so fast that you know, it's hard to like sit down and really write an album when you have to put it out within like a very short hype cycle, which is sort of what he did. Right. Um, and then he didn't really get much of a second chance. And I don't know, it was kind of, I love Jin, but it was kind of sad to see him on those, like, you know, um, fight club type of like, uh, battle YouTube circuits, you know? For oh yeah. These, these you remind know, me like, of like, these remind me of like those live poker streams now that, that are like just not the same. <laughs> like it's not poker. After, it's not high stakes poker. It's just streams. Yeah. Oh my God. We've like lost your entire audience. We're like diving into like YouTube battle rap culture circa 2007 <laughs> oh no don't don't worry people people know but also like during the off season like will and i have been having these like banter pods where we actually go for like three four hours just like talking about nothing and, and yeah. then we and then we service the audience by like answering questions and stuff but no i think all of this stuff is is uh is interesting um i'll ask you about the michael chang uh uh doc uh towards the end then just just so cool. just so we don't lose all our all our listeners, but yes, you know, the all uh, amongst all these other things that you do, you're a huge NBA head. And you did tell me, you did tell me uh, before we came on air that, that you've, you've been into a Raptors game, right? Is that correct? Here in Toronto? Oh yeah. I went to a Raptors game. It was OVO night. 
they were playing. <laughs> were you doing a story or were you just hanging out? No, 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 no. I was up there for work. Okay. And um, we were staying at a hotel near the arena. And um, there, there, there were tickets that we could get. I think we just got them secondhand or something like that. So I went to a game with like my friend Quentin. Um, shout out to Quentin. But uh, we... Yeah, it was they were wearing like the black jerseys and everything and everything in the arena was like the OVO symbol. But it was pretty cool. Like I thought that the vibe outside the state or outside, you know, people walking around, people walking down to it, it just felt very like urban and in the center of things, right? Like as opposed to, you know, these sort of American arenas where you have to drive out to the suburbs more or less and go park or even like I live in the Bay Area and going to like Chase Center is like crazy. It's horrible. You know, like it's in the middle of nowhere in the city and you have to take like two forms of public transportation. Not that there's anything wrong with taking public transportation. It's just like if you come up with like the least efficient way to take public transportation that you can imagine, like that's where the Chase Center is. And there's no like because there's nothing around it like it just feels very like abandoned and that everyone's just there to do that one thing um you know i thought that the what's it called now is it called the roger it's not the roger center right what is no it? so roger center is the baseball stadium that used to oh. be the sky dome um so this this is now scotia bank arena it used to be air canada center when when vince was here oh, that's yeah. why they called them air canada air canada center is way better yeah i mean name? the death of just like arena names now like I know, Air like Canada Crypto. Center is like awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, FTX um, Arena is like the Heat Arena now. Like it's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is FTX now. Like the freaking umps in the baseball playoffs are wearing FTX patches. Oh you my know? god, it's like embarrassing that yeah, baseball that did is. that. So, so you you had a good experience then, because because uh the, the the Raptors recently um they did this John Schumann at NBA.com. I think he surveys all the GMs around the league and, and the Raptors were voted number one in terms of home court advantage, which which I kind of disagree with just because like the, the crowds, the crowds have changed. I think it's kind of like Bay Area, kind of like the Warriors. Like, oh, yeah. like you have the corporate types there now and the diehards are like squeezed out because it's so overpriced now, the tickets. How much is a ticket now? Oh man, like I don't know the exact prices, um, but like, I know just from seeing people post online and then just from talking to people like it's competitive to like going to like a Leafs game in a way now because like the oh, Leafs really? are still the hardest ticket to get in the city. Uh -huh. um, like back in the day, you could probably go to a Raptors game like they legit had this Sprite zone for like five dollars where you could sit up top. Um, for and, and you five dollars? Yeah, it was literally oh, promoted as like a five dollar Sprite zone. Like I'm guessing those tickets now are probably like 50 bucks and like um, they do tier pricing now. So like they tiered the teams, the opponents. So like the Warriors and like the Lakers because of LeBron is considered like tier one. So like oh, yeah. those tickets are like the most, most expensive. That's why I always have a problem because like I'm sure you've seen they always promote like the Jurassic Park and like the fans outside like mm -hmm. during the playoffs. But it's really just fans that can't afford to go inside. Like it's not oh. like they actually want to watch outside. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what I mean though? Like it's, it's yeah, like celebrated no, no. and I get it, but it's like, those fans just can't afford the tickets or can't yeah, get them. Yeah, They're yeah. like, look at our crazy poor fans. <laughs> no, like, so, no, it, no, it does bug me a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. But yeah. So, um, no, I'm glad you had a good experience. I was telling you, like, Toronto fan base. And I don't think it's like this in the U.S., um, you know, maybe in certain pockets. But I, I think a lot of the fans, you know, if they're not general, there's a lot of fans that are just Raptors fans. 
is, is I guess right. what I'm trying to say. Like they're not like NBA fans. Like there's certainly a lot of NBA fans, but you'll have a segment of the fan base that's very like like everything is through the lens of like this team. Like like when when Scotty Barnes doesn't make like a breakout player list, like it, that is the biggest complaint. Or like when when people name like the top five players in the league who can guard like all five positions, you know they'll be like, "How come Precious Achua isn't on this list?" <laughs> like like he guarded James Harden and Joel Embiid on like a single possession in the playoffs, and like I don't mind it. I think it comes from a place of passion. Um, and obviously, when we do the Raptor show, like I think we like interact with a lot of different types of fans. But that's the one thing that's jumped out at me in terms of like the fan base. I'm into that though. I feel like that's a much more natural and like organic type of fandom mm-hmm. than being one of these kind of thirty thousand. I am going to scratch my t- chin and think about the league as a whole <laughs> and just root for storylines. You know, like that stuff sucks. Like I, that's how I am because I don't. I mean, I'm like. I, I don't really have a team because I covered the, you know, I was like, a, I was a basketball writer for a somewhat short period of time, but it was enough where I was just like, okay, like I can't really, you know, root for one team, not because of journalism ethics really, but just because I was watching too much basketball at the time. But I think that being a fan of a team and just thinking about the team and only watching that team's games and, you know, being in part of a community of fans, like I just think that that's much more satisfying than trying to be like the smart guy who's like giving takes about things and, you know, is more right about one NBA thing than the other. And that's like, cause that sort of stuff is just exhausting to me at this point. You know, first of all, I understand my NBA takes are not good. You know, like I don't, I don't like do statistical breakdown of players. I don't, you know, I don't look at, uh, you know, I don't go through uh synergy and like look at every, you know, all of precious that true is like, you know, post defensive <laughs> possessions or anything like that. Cause I don't write about basketball anymore. And I don't know, I've become like a, because I moved to the Bay area, I decided to just be a Kings fan, you know, and it's just way more fun. I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna care about Keegan Murray this year. Right. Like I'm just going to be kind of mad at De'Aaron Fox for periods of time. Right. I'm going to yell about the coaching and, that's about it. And then I'll watch the games. And then when the game is over, then I'll, I'll be done. And I don't have to care too, too much about like, you know, oh, is Oklahoma City's rebuilding process on track or not? I'm just like, look, I don't do I why do I care about that? <laughs> you know, like, why, why should I care? Um, so I don't know, I've, I've got into the like local fans who just care about their team. But I think it's increasingly hard now just because NBA um at least online nba fandom is so competitive and so structured around like oh well you know basically around twitter yeah no i think i miss the days you know you talk about like oh like rooting for guys like a keegan murray and things like that i miss the days like thinking back to like the 90s you know to me it's like you know the two main discoveries for me when i when i immigrated here was like got into music and like hip hop in particular and basketball as well and like both avenues was like a way to just like discover like discover artists you know in hip hop and like discover players like that was like the coolest thing like just like being a fan of like i don't know like Eddie Jones like like on the Lakers or, or like just finding these guys that like you just latch onto and I, I think that's just gone now. Like, I think it's just gone now, like you mentioned, because of just the way things are structured now and the online conversations. And like, 
you know, every single player is like talked about to death and like every single player, everybody knows like the two, three traits about them. I think this started actually with Rudy Gay. I feel like Rudy Gay is the first player that I remember that was just like <laughs> skewered because of like his mid-range uh, shooting and like the analytics people really went after him. And I'm kind of with you. Like I love the analytics as a compliment to everything, but I feel like it's just taken away from like just being able to make like personal observations, like personal things that I believe in. Uh, despite what the numbers say. Like, actually, I, I use this example, like the Blue Jays lost to the Mariners over the weekend. And one of the biggest conversations is like, the manager pulled the starting pitcher, you know, uh, too early. Like he was only throwing 95 pitches. Um, and uh, he had gotten the bases loaded with nobody out, gotten the first two outs, gotten the next two outs. And then the manager decided to like, I guess, play like the numbers based on, based on like, I don't know, the splits or whatever and bring in a reliever. And I've always been of the mind, like I've been saying for the last few years, like I miss the days when they would just let the really good starting pitchers go like 120 pitches instead of playing like the numbers thing. Like to me, like I totally get and people will push back and be like, well, like, you know, third time around the order, you know, the numbers say this and that. And I'm like, think about like I think about like Roy Halladay, who was like the, the best pitcher in like Blue Jays history, who used to throw like 11 complete games a year. If he was in this era, he would only be going like five, six innings every game. And I don't think that's cool. So it's one of those yeah, things for me. It's also less exciting to watch. And I feel like people don't really talk about that very much. You know, um, I remember it was just like when all the corner three stuff started coming up in basketball. And I would look, I, you know, I'm like somewhat conversant in statistics and whatever. And I grew up reading Bill James and Rob Nyer and, you know, everything like whatever, you know, like I am not like skeptical of this stuff. In fact, for a while, I was very into it, but there's no question that the product is less fun to watch when it's just people shooting corner threes, you know, and I just think about it. just like, okay, well, what's the, what is the argument that we're making here? It's just like, okay, there's a few things going on. The first is that this type of progress is inevitable because teams want to win, right? And so they're going to just, even if it's bad to watch, they're going to do the thing that helps them win because their fans care more about winning and they can sort of trick themselves into pretending that the thing that they're watching is entertaining as long as they're winning, right? So that that part I think is true. But at the same time, it's like kind of like obviously less entertaining to watch, you know? <laughs> Especially if your team is like not that good and also just like jacking up corner threes the whole time and like just swinging the ball around so that they can get like a 37% shooter to shoot a corner three. And you're just like, wow, that was awful to watch. Um, and baseball, I think has had that problem for so long now that like, it is actually, you know, I, I the baseball, like you watch where people are stealing bases or bunning and like everything is so tense because there's always, you know, the runners on second and that people are making a lot of contact, so there's a lot more defensive plays. Like that was actually much more entertaining than the baseball that exists now, which is just like strikeout or home run type of stuff, right? And I don't think anyone really disagrees with that. It's just like, how do you stop progress? Like, I don't think you can, right? Like all these things like are proven out to be true. But I do think that at least like this mania sometimes where people are not believing what is in front of them and they're defaulting to a system in which like they're trying to evaluate a decision and that the actual splits in the decision are like if you did this 20,000 times without any observations about what's actually going on 
that this result would result it would be 51% and this would be 49% if you did a thousand times in a sample, right? And that they're like that that's like incredible uncertainty, right? And it's well somewhere where like your personal observations should have some sort of say into it. And um people treat the fact that it's like 51 to 49 as if it's gospel truth that you can never do the other way, you know, and that the other way will never be successful. And that's just like a basic misunderstanding, I think, of like these types of numbers anyway. And but that's sort of like now the lingua franca of like sports conversations. It's like people getting really, really, really certain because they found some number that says something. They don't really understand the number. Right. And like, I don't know, I would rather watch a major league pitcher throw nine innings, too, you know, Um and I'm not sure what the Blue Jays decision was. I did see the result of it, but um, you know, I don't know. Like it does seem sometimes like, hey, he's going good, right? In this decision that's basically a coin flip. Like maybe that should be weighed a little bit more than it is. Yeah. And I, th- I think fundamentally too, you see a lot of like baseball managers making these decisions because they have the stats to back it up. So even if the results don't line up with with the process, like they can say that they did the right thing. Um, and I think it's just such a like it's just like walking, watching people do their jobs to like watching people try to not like lose their job, basically. Right. Like it's, right. there's not, it's not even like, and then I get like, they're all trying to win, but it's, it's, it's just more like once I think it's just when we get so stats driven too, and you talk about just like the conversations that, that are taking place and like, you know, both of us have been like, you know, on Twitter where I think a lot of basketball conversations um, are, are centered around like over the past decade. And I feel like, I feel like now, like, I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like the conversations have just become so narrow now. Like there's not really conversations that take place and it's just like people wanting to be right and people coming with, with obviously the numbers to support it. And like, I miss just like, I miss just like, I don't know, man, like, I know this is a kind of a stereotype, but just like going to a bar and just like, just getting hot takes off with like your friends and just like having things that you truly believe in, even though deep down you probably think is wrong and can be statistically proven wrong. Um, like I'm not going to come out and say like, you know, who certain players, like the best player in the world when he's not, but it's just like certain beliefs that you have. I feel like there's just no, um, there's just no room for those types of conversations anymore. I don't know how you feel about how, like, how like NBA conversations have changed, especially like on Twitter. Well, I think online it's, a. Uh... Like within the people who are have some sort of like are like maybe in the media or two degrees separated from the media, right? That that is the dominant conversation. I think even on Twitter, if you go like a little bit beyond that, you find that like the majority of tweets about the NBA are like Raptors fans <laughs> screaming at somebody <laughs> or Lakers fans it's, screaming no, at somebody. We, we, right? We're like a top five. We're top five yeah. toxic fan. Bases. I think you're I top two, yeah. honestly. It's basically like the top two <laughs> fan bases are Kobe fans and then Raptors fans. You probably <laughs> learned so much about the Raptors just seeing all that activity online. Like. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, and then like Blazers fans are crazy, right? Like, um, I think those are probably the top three, but I haven't really been involved in it in a while. And like, I, 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 but I remember from when I was writing more about the NBA, I would make like a joke about the, about the city of Portland and I would just get flooded with hate, you know? And, yeah. and then the Raptors fans would just be mad that you hadn't mentioned them. No, the, fu- the funniest, actually the funniest last year was, so, you know, Kyle Lowry left and like he signed right. with Miami 
and like i think there's just all these clips like obviously early in the season you know all the all the heat reporters talked about kyle a lot like what he was adding to the team and there was just significant backlash from the fan base here in toronto everybody was up in arms being like wow you guys never talked about kyle when he was in toronto and i'm like this again goes back to like kind of like the narrow view of like being a Raptors fan versus an NBA fan. <laughs> like, but that was just like amazing to me. I'm like, please just let these heat reporters uh, and these national reporters uh, do their thing. But I always go back to like, I think you mentioned this too. Like when you're a fan, like I, I'm always like, you can do whatever you want. Like, I, like, you know, like why, who, who am I? Who is anyone to like tell people how to consume the sport and the team that they follow. But I think Twitter kind of blurs the line sometimes. And I think we do it too, like me and Will as well. Cause like, I think we're very open about our, our fandom with the Raptors. And it's like, you have a lot of just like, I guess, quote unquote, like people in media, like media people, journalists, reporters interacting with people who are just fans. And sometimes that line is like blurred too. Yeah. Fan culture is like, I like it. I, I'm very into it. And I am just last year started interacting with Kings fans who are not that aggrieved. They're just kind of sad, you know, like <laughs> it's like, it, it's almost like, it really feels like you're like, they're, they're never, they don't even get that mad about stuff, you know, because like if a Lakers fans like, Oh yeah, you guys are like, they're like, what are they going to say? You know? Um, but uh, I've enjoyed that interaction with that community that said, like some of the stuff in sort of online fan culture is like wild, you know, like um, like Dolphins fans, like, you know, screaming at anyone who is upset that Tua Tagovailoa got like a horrible concussion, you know, like that sort of stuff is just weird to me. But that's also part of it. Like there's good and bad parts of it. But um, I don't know, like uh, I also think that for some time, sometimes that media people get a bit too mad about it, you know, like. I just remember, like, do you remember, you obviously remember this, but do you remember when, like, Kevin Durant got hurt in that finals game and people were like, I'm so disgusted. Everyone in this arena is cheering the injury. And then you watch the tape back and you're like, this is like seven people, you know, like that are cheering and those people are just and like, you know, like you can ignore them. But like this idea, like sort of being aggrieved as a media member at fans all the time just feels like it's backwards to me you know like um like your job is to convince these people some of them are never going to be convinced some of them are just assholes but like having an antagonistic relationship with them as if they're like the unwashed masses it never made sense to me you know like it's just weird like the sport is for the fans your job as a media member is to translate the sport for the fans in whatever way that you wish but like it's not to like be like i'm part of the elect like I'm actually part of this thing and all of you are just fans and like, you know, like I'm like actually part of the media or something like that. Like that type of thing does happen from time to time. And I just find it to be very lame. Yeah. I think we're just in a culture too, where, I mean, I think growing up, like, you know, you read like sports illustrated or, you know, you read the newspaper, like, you know, the people that you read, the writers and the columnists, I guess they were big names to you, but like now we're in a culture where like every single person who's good at what they do in media becomes like a personality, right? Um, for, for like better right. or worse. And I feel like that changes the conversations a little bit too. Or like a yeah. lot of conversations just surround these personalities and the things that they say and they do. And I know like obviously the most obvious examples are like the Stephen A. Smiths and stuff, but I feel like locally too, like in these different markets, like there are probably these people who stand out and, and the conversation just stops being about like, I don't know, like the actual basketball and just about these people. Yeah, my my sense of this is that like there was always this narrative around there that NBA Twitter was the 
NBA's greatest asset, right? That like, it was amazing that you could spin off all these meta conversations about things that were not the sport itself. And that this was a distinct advantage to the NFL, which most of the culture is fan culture, but it's also about like, well, who's starting, who's injured, who's going to play and like, are these games good or bad, right? And I'm pretty skeptical about this at this point. Like, you know, like you've, we now have like pretty decent evidence that like in the aggregate or on the whole, that NBA ratings are not what they thought it was, they were going to be, right? And that, um, that NBA Twitter, while it is huge and, you know, expansive and does take up a lot of online space, that it hasn't quite converted into anything that's going to, you know, compete with the NFL in any sort of way. And that, like, I just don't know what the sort of, for the NBA, like, the big benefit just seems to be that they get attention all the time and that the attention is always about something other than the league itself and the games themselves, right? And that, I don't know if that's necessarily great for basketball. I think it's, like, for me, it's honestly a little bit boring just because, like, I don't really care about basketball media all that much. But Mm -hmm. um, I think the thing that it does is that it elevates some of these basketball media people into like kind of like celebrities in themselves and that those people end up getting attacked more than the league. Right. And I, I, I think that like, you know, if you're a public figure, like, yes, that's like part of the job, but like the league always gets off, you know? And I think that that's in some ways by design, because like, I don't know if you've ever dealt, been on the bad side of like the NBA's like PR machine, but like, it is extremely unpleasant, far worse than the NFL, far worse than any corporation I've ever reported on, right? Like the NBA, if you say anything bad about them publicly in like a big outlet, they will like spam you with like, you know, like non-corrections and like basically like harass you. And like, I think that the fact that like some of the conversation has shifted away from the league, like look at how quickly the Sarver thing went away, right? Like people Mm -hmm. basically believed that like Adam Silver was doing like a Jedi mind trick, you know, and Mm -hmm. like playing 5D chess when he, what he really wanted to do was give Sarver like this big punishment, but he like, Jedi mind tricked it so that and just like what are we what are we talking about? Also, here, we shouldn't you know? be caping for a sports commissioner, which I think is right. kind of hilarious. <laughs> right, right. Like, do you really believe that? Like, you're so in love with this league that like you can't even criticize you like when they do something that you think is wrong that you think actually it's like wasn't wrong, it was right. Like, come on, you know. Like, and that that part of NBA media culture is one that that actually bothers me. Everything else is great, but I do think that basically, there the way in which it's structured now, in which like gate kept scoops are the only thing that matter. They're the thing through which all of the conversations take place, right? That the league can very tightly control those, right? They can figure, they can control who gets those. They can control who is who are the power brokers in that type of like uh, in that type of economy, and that everything radiates out from there. That means that like the access to actually criticize the league is completely shut out because like anybody who criticizes the league is going to be cut out of that type of transactional reporting. And so, I don't know. I find that to actually be bad. That's the only real complaint I have about it, where I think the NBA deserves way more criticism than it gets. It never gets any criticism. People always say, well, what about the NFL? You know, and like, I don't know, like, it's just like not a convincing argument to me at this point. Yeah, like you bring up Silver. I'm thinking about last year too when all these teams were just like half of their roster was just like hardship exemption guys because COVID was just like running through the whole league. Right. 
and Adam was just like, you know, we're just going to play the games. And I know there's, and I feel like the backlash just went away really quickly. And I think the other thing too is like, um, you, I think once people realize that like Adam's just working for the owners and, and like working for the league and just looking after the bottom line, like then things just kind of make sense. And that's why we're like, I feel like we should just like, listen, man, like I've, I've pretty, I'm pretty sure I got hyped when he like banned Donald Sterling. Like it was just like yeah. a cool moment. Um, but it's just like, I, I think like you mentioned, like people got to take a step back. Like at the end of the day, he's a commissioner. Like he's he working for the commissioner. <laughs> right. Right. And then I like think about all the stuff that, that like, uh, that the NBA was sort of putting themselves th- through with the, um, with the bubble, right. Yeah. With social justice and George Floyd protests and like, you know, having the players wear those Nike uniforms and everybody had like the black lives matter warm-ups and they're like we're gonna make a long-term commitment to this right the next year it was gone absolutely gone basically it had been memory hold right like mm-hmm. at this point do you see any sort of messaging from the nba about like social justice or or police or anything like that no right it's gone like it was a thing that they had to do in the moment they bent over to do it right and that mm-hmm. um they made it seem like they were like the wokest league in in the world and like the next year it was gone right and that nobody ever takes them to task on that type of thing, right? Everyone just criticizes the NFL. I'm not a fan of the NFL, the way the NFL's run either, you know? But, like, you can't just have, like, this only this comparative thing where it's, like, as long as somebody is worse than you, you know, that you're, yeah. you're like, actually awesome. Like, like, that's basically the attitude I think a lot of people have about it. And, like, um, the NBA, for that reason, like, I think it evades a lot of the type of investigative work that would happen with any other league, right? Um, and that, um, and that's unfortunate because I think it deserves to be scrutinized in the same way that any like multi-billion-dollar gigantic media organization deserves to be scrutinized. Yeah, you know, the only interesting thing from the bubble was like, you know, after the Bucks had their had their Wildcats strike, there was this like this meeting that took place. Like LeBron and the Lakers were there. Um, Kawhi and the Clippers were there and then it was like reported that I think like LeBron and, and Jalen Brown had like a shouting match like back and forth um, yeah, and that Obama was like the only well. that was like the only interesting <laughs> thing to me because it's like clearly they were just trying to figure out what the public like approach was or like the, what the public messaging that they wanted to be and then right. obviously LeBron wanted it a particular way and I'm sure some of the younger players like Jalen Brown although he he's too aligned um with Kyrie sometimes for for me to take him seriously um cuz uh, yeah, I think he like definitely was boys. not vaccinated at this point right <laughs> yeah like, all that stuff yeah. but it's like um that's what's interesting to me that's what was the only thing that was interesting to me cuz yeah. you know obviously there was just like a very like there was just a disagreement in the messaging that they wanted to come out which i feel like that's all the nba is always about like from the player side and like from the league is like how how we look publicly like what the messaging is which is fine mm-hmm. that's what every league does I agree. Yeah. And it was, that one was basically just like LeBron didn't want to, I think at least, I don't want to say, but from what I have heard, a slightly informed opinion, right? Which is just that, um, I wrote about this too, but like, I, it did seem like basically people did not want it to seem like they were telling the Bucks no, right? Like Mm -hmm. nobody wanted to be the person to say like, we have to play, we're going to play. And so the point was to try and create as much sort of conflicting messages out there to make it seem like they were really having a moment when the real message was like, no, we're going to finish this bubble, you know? And that's what sort of everybody wanted. Um, Not everybody wanted, obviously, but the people in charge of the league wanted. 
And so in the end, you just have like, oh, well, nobody really knows what happened. I'm like, really? You know, (laughs) 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 Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of people do know what happened here, you know? And so like, that's, that, that was, that, I I think that is one of the more disappointing moments, I think, in, in the league's recent history um, and was just sort of how they buried that. Right. Um, And then they tried to create enough confusion so it made it seem like it was okay when i don't think it was yeah and then there's a part two i think lebron was probably pushing to play on because he he recognized that he had a championship window like he probably yeah. wanted to go for the championship like i think that's a part of it too and, right i just uh, wish he would have said that you know i think that's um, okay like i really yeah. think that's okay yeah um because you're a competitive person at the end of the day um, also like and, nobody would be surprised at like it's in line with who you are you know and like it's like your fans are gonna i'm a huge lebron fan you know um not so much of like as like i i I have my line about lebron is always like he gets too much credit for what he does off the court and too little credit for what he does on the court you know but like on the court lebron like i love him you know like Mm -hmm. and so like i don't know like i don't but like him sort of at that moment trying to be like, I am the leader of this league and I'm, this is my message and it's something that's passionate to me. And be like, well, that is true. Right. Like, um, you know, the, when the Cavs sort of did that protest in, in Brooklyn, right. Um, the sort of photos they did after Trayvon Martin, like that's all stuff that LeBron didn't have to do. Right. And, and I think he should get credit for that. But by the time the bubble came around, like we're talking about a different, you know, we're talking about somebody with different priorities, different incentives. And I think that sort of played out there. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good way to put it. I almost feel like we spent so much time, majority of fans, like hating on LeBron as like the villain in Miami during his prime that like yeah. we didn't like properly appreciate it in a way because like he was ridiculous on those teams. Oh my God. Miami LeBron is like, if you watch, you know, like it's like a force of nature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, no, I just so... feel like we spent so much time like just like villainizing him during those years. I oh, know. It, I was on that train too, and then it swung in the um, 2000, uh, the 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 series with Game Six of the series with the Spurs, right? Like where yeah, he like threw off his headband. He was like collapsing. Tony Parker was like basically like so dehydrated that he couldn't walk, and like he and Wade and Bosch play like a intensity of defense that i've just never seen before yeah and that doesn't and that doesn't get talked about i love him that doesn't get talked about because that's a ray allen game right yeah yeah that's the greatest game i think in the history of basketball and um and that's all anyone wanted from lebron because after that dallas series you know where he was so timid for some of those games right right yeah and then he and then after that he like you know i think he's been a great like a great champion, right? Like he plays big in the biggest games. I mean, I mean, you as a Raptors fan must know that, right? Like he, he just, he, he, I don't know. Like when does he ever like give half effort in the playoffs or in big games? Like never, you know? And that's, that's all you sort of want out of these guys. And I don't know. I, I just love watching him. I just hope he gets to the finals one more time. Like that's my, yeah, own. yeah. We, we might He's talk definitely about not, but um you know what i don't know yeah but the thing my thing with lebron and you know uh, you know obviously he's uh, he's won a championship like the last like whatever three places that he's been at um you know miami back to cleveland and with the lakers but i was just always wonder what it would have been like if he just like was with one franchise with like a competent front office for like a 10-year stretch you know 
Because I feel like he left a lot of contending years on the table, just like moving around and doing all the maneuvering. Yeah, he would. He he kind of like lost one per each time he moved, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think I don't think he's going to end his career with the Lakers, right? Like I think that at some point his happiness of being in Los Angeles or whatever is going to be overtaken by like his need to compete and not lose. And um, I just think like he's going to try one more time with another team and it's going to be basically his last year of being good. I hope it's with the Cavs because that would be like a cool storyline type of thing. And it would be honestly him playing with some of the players they have would be very entertaining to watch i think but i just i just can't imagine that he just rides off into the sunset and says like i'm a movie producer now and um you know like i'm i'm gonna be an entertainment note mogul and i'm gonna own this team in las vegas and that's gonna be my life like i can't imagine that can you like it's just hard for me to believe that he wouldn't try one more time well i think the other thing though is because like he had that story with lee jenkins you know after winning his i think it was after winning his third or fourth title where he talked about he like first time for the first time like openly talked about like chasing michael and like chasing like the greatest of all time thing and he's talked about it a lot i think like on his show on the shop and stuff and like the thing he always talks about is just like i think he's just positioning himself um you know away from like the championship conversation like the rings conversation and more with like just a longevity in the stats right like like he's gonna break kareem's record this year and like i think at some point like he's probably gonna be like at the top of like a lot of these categories and that's how he's going to stack his argument. So I'm actually not sure if like, you know, yes, like for sure. Like I know he probably wants that fifth title and then have a chance to go, go for six. Um, but like, I'm not sure how hard he's pushing that. Cause he took the extension with the Lakers, which, yeah. which, which he didn't have to do. Um, and that's like really the first time he didn't like put a team on the clock um, right. in terms of like going to the last year of his contract. Um, but at the same time, like, I, I don't think he should even be thinking about MJ. Like, he should be thinking about Steph because Steph's got the four. He's got four, right? Yeah, Steph has four. Um, so, like, if Steph ends up having more championships in this era than LeBron, like, I think clearly I would say LeBron's a better individual player. But then you get into a conversation of, like, whose era this really was. Right, right. I And, and you know, like, who knows? Maybe Durant will win. In Brooklyn, like it's not <laughs> probable, but it's not yeah. insane. Like you know, like it's he's still Kevin Durant. You know, I I think that LeBron going. I agree with you that LeBron is positioning himself in that statistical way. I think it's really misguided because nobody cares about basketball stats. Nobody counts totals like that, man. No, nobody like it cares. Doesn't matter. Like longevity doesn't matter. If longevity mattered, then everyone would be like Carl Malone is like a top ten player of all time. You I know? couldn't like, even tell like, you the top five scores like in NBA history. Like I actually wouldn't. Yeah, be able I couldn't to either. Do I don't top. even know who's two. Yeah. You know, I guess LeBron's two now. But I don't know yeah. who three is. Like, Kobe's there three? too. I think Kobe's Kobe's up there. I think. Um, he has but to. Be. Yeah. It, it's like I mean, nobody cares about that stuff. It only matters in baseball. It's the only sport where people care. Now people don't care about baseball statistics at all because of the. 
steroid era. So like there's no sport in which it really matters, right? Like when we were growing up, somebody getting to 3,000 hits was like a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember like Eddie Murray got to 3,000 hits. It's like, oh my God, Eddie Murray has 3,000 hits. So like that was, or I think Paul Molitor got to 3,000 hits, right? And you're like, oh my God, Paul Molitor has 3,000 hits. Like that type of stuff doesn't, in basketball, it's never been a conversation. And what I don't write, quite get is that I actually think that if he did win another title where he was the best player on a team that was a little bit undermanned that he would then be really within that conversation. But like, I don't think he can do that anymore. And maybe he knows that, but like, I do, I don't know, like, why not just go back to the finals and give it a shot? You know, like he, he, like who knows what might happen. Um, And if that type of legacy thing is as important to him as it seems to be, then like, uh, it just seems logical that he should just switch teams. But I don't know. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to. Um, yeah, I, I mean, no. I don't think he's going to in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. And, and I think it goes to the question, too, of like, I know his durability has been talked about, but like, I mean, at some point he's got to break down. Like, it yeah. just, has, I mean, he's already slowed down, you know, you know, to me. Like, I don't think he's the same version as like the 2018 guy who like just carried that team with like Jeff Green as the second best player on the Cavs to, to like the finals and like having that 50 points in like game one. But, all right, let's get to what our was premise. Yeah, yeah, what's up? Okay, go ahead. What's go ahead. Up? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 let's do our premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. After after one hour, we're finally gonna get yeah. to our Western Conference tiers. Uh, we can run through them. So, okay, I tiered them into six different tiers, and 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 we can we can just talk about it. So, tier one, for me, I picked out teams that I think can realistically make it to the finals in the West and win the championship, and I put Golden State, the Clippers, and Denver in here. How do you feel about this tier? Oh, wait, that's also my first tier. <laughs> okay, okay. It, it, well, mine is in that order, too. The okay. Warriors, the Clippers, and the Nuggets. I would have the Clippers as a favorite. I don't know, just because I I just think... And again, like I think when you do the season predictions, you just have to assume full health, I guess. Um, like, fully healthy with Kawhi, too. Like, I just think the Clippers have the best team, and the only argument against them, I feel like, it's that they're the Clippers. Uh... Well, the big yeah, outside of health, I think the biggest argument is that they're the Clippers, but right? Like, I don't know. I don't. I think like people like people started talking about it a bit last year, and then I think for whatever reason, I don't know why the conversation sort of fell off. But like, the Warriors have so much potential this year to uh, really develop Moody, you know, to develop yeah. Wiseman, Kaminga into. People who would be starting on I don't know twenty of the of the teams in the NBA, mm-hmm. and you know like with Kaminga or Moody, like the upside is just enormous. And you know it's like Wiseman, I guess too. But like I think people sort of like people think about Wiseman's first year and they think he averaged like three points a game or something like that. Like he didn't, you know, like he 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 was able to do some things. Now I don't know if he's going to be good or not. If I had to bet, I would say probably no. But like they're they have those three guys, right? It reminds me like there's a Car- I'm a Carolina basketball fan. There's a, when when um the year after the Carolina won the title in like whatever like ninety two I forget what year it was, but when they had Montrose, Derek Phelps, George Lynch, uh, George Lynch uh, graduated at that point, but you know Brian Reese. So they had this team basically that won the title, and then they had Rasheed Wallace and Jerry Stackhouse as freshmen, you know, <laughs> and they're like there would all be these like reports out of out of practices and stuff you like the freshmen just destroyed the seniors mm. in basketball um this kind of reminds me of that right like you have like three 
guys who are just so talented coming up. And then you have like an infrastructure that I think can handle that because, you know, you don't have these massive, massive egos on that team. Um, and I mean, I guess except Draymond, but, you know, like whatever, right? Like um, he's not like somebody who's going to not pass the ball to like a young person for whatever reason. Like I just don't quite get why they're not the clear favorites. Um, you know, I think they won the title pretty easily last year and everybody's back and like, Steph looked great and you know like he did have some shooting slumps during the year but like do you really think he's slowed down in any sort of way and if the answer is no then I think they should just be the clear clear favorite yeah no I agree with you I can see I can see them winning like 65 games um just like off the strength of like you know obviously the core group and like developing the young guys too uh the Draymond thing is so interesting to me just because like I'm trying to think and I don't know if you have somebody in mind like another player like he's obviously a really good player but like not like a superstar um but like to to me he's like probably the greatest role player in like history or he's up there but like has any other player of his stature been like this disruptive like people will say like dennis Rodman. i don't think dennis Rodman was that disruptive he just kind of did his own thing right, um, right like he would just like fly to vegas which like sure was like a quote-unquote distraction but like he he like he never like fought a teammate I don't think. <laughs> well, I don't. Well, we, maybe we, we don't, don't know. know we don't know. But you know what I mean? Right. Though, like, like, like Draymond's just so such a like combative like personality, and I almost think this is great for Jordan Poole because like he knows that Draymond can't pull anything on him now for the rest of this year. Like he already that's used true. up his like one. My so question yeah. about yeah, my question about Draymond is basically like at the beginning of for the first like whatever twenty games of last year, Draymond was like a legitimately MVP candidate. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was so good, and I was so shocked because I thought he was totally washed. Yeah, this was know? before he got hurt, right? Because he got hurt right. season. Yeah. Then he got hurt, and then when he came back, he was on and off. And then in the finals or in the playoffs in the West Conference Finals and parts of the playoffs, he looked like he was unplayable for long stretches of time. I mean, he was like so bad but then he would have good games or not so my question with him is just whether or not the first 20 games Draymond from last year is possible if he if it's possible then like I don't think any of the other stuff will matter right because I think that he'll be playing well and that they'll be winning and that'll be fine like if he's bad then I do think then like there's a lot of questions that come up that are related to all the stuff that he does um I don't know that much about like the inside of the Warriors, but I do get the sense that like the Warriors are re- are like pretty fed up with this last incident. You know, like that seemed to be the vibe coming out of it. It wasn't like a, oh, this happens in practice and um, this happens all the time. And it was even interesting, like hearing some of the seeing some of the reactions from like ex players who have nothing to do, like you know, like Stephen Jackson, for example, or Paul Pierce. Like these are guys who sort of carry themselves as being like you would expect them to be the type of people be like oh yeah that type of stuff happens all the time in practice like both of them were like man that was messed up what he did like you can't do that right and so um i'm not quite sure what the response is going to be but i do think a the warriors are probably more upset about it than um one would expect and b i think like that just means uh draymond has to be really good this year and if he's not then it's going to be like a real problem yeah and i think that's a I think like Steph doesn't get enough credit sometimes maybe for just being like whatever like like the like the leader of this team or all of that stuff cuz I feel like as long as Steph is okay with Draymond and Steph is okay with all the stuff swirling around like he's dealt with so much drama like over these different eras with like KD 
um and now this like i think he's like he's the one that's kind of just like holds it all together um yeah and, and i th- yeah. and i think like internally i would say you know as draymond's gonna be on this team you know if if steph is okay with it and, and and i think and i think the best case scenario for them is like like i said like draymond's already had his one blow up and you know this is so public with the video and he's like very apologetic about it that i think maybe this is maybe this is the best thing to happen for them because now he's got to just kind of fall in line and hopefully not cause any drama during the season and just be like a real high impact player on, on the court but i do really want to see that golden state clippers match up um yeah. in, in the playoffs i think it'd just be fascinating yeah i'm a big paul george <laughs> i have a paul george jersey <laughs> yeah i've come around on paul george now uh, i think i think there was just a lot of like fandom hatred too when Kawhi left um to to go to the clippers so it's just like actively rooting against them and like just <laughs> like celebrating when they just like blew it in the bubble but like paul george paul george i think is yeah paul george had a great career and he's he he kind of like redeemed himself with the, with the playoff performances, but like we already saw that in Indiana too. I don't know. Man, I feel like the narrative so the narrative has swung on him. Yeah, I really again. think like I think like people really underestimate how good he is. You know, yeah. last year he didn't play for months, and then he comes back basically for their playing game and for like the last game of the season. He scored like thirty four points in the playing game. You know, like yeah. he's just such a good shooter, and. Like he's basically unstoppable, and I I just think he's like the most underrated player in the league at this point. But I still think the Warriors are better. Um, there's one team I wanted to qu- ask you if you what you thought if they should be in that could win a championship tier or not, and that's the Suns. Like, what do you think about them? Yeah, I'm kind of. I guess I'm really. I'm being really basic about it, but just like just off the vibes, off like you know, losing by 33 in the game seven. I don't, I mean, the, the Sarver stuff to me is like very separate, but it's like DeAndre Ayton um, doesn't seem very happy there. You know, Jay Crowder has been sitting out like for a trade. Like it just, and like Chris Paul, you know, he's up there in age as well. Like it just seems like they're ripe for to be one of those teams where like nothing just goes right for them. Um, and, and they just, I don't know, like they probably still finish with like, I don't know, like 48, 50 wins, but like, I don't know. Like, do you see it? I, I feel like well, that window is closed. I thought about, I was trying to think about teams that had their type of runs, right? Where yeah. teams that basically had two seasons where in the regular season they were dominant and then in the playoffs they kind of didn't get over the hump. And then can you sustain it for three years, right? Yeah. So like an example would be like the Sonics with Kemp and Gary Payton. Um, right. They won a ton of regular season games. They didn't quite get over the hump. And then at some point, you know, like messages go stale, people get frustrated, and then like nothing happens. But you know, the counterexample of that is like, for example, the Bucks, right? Like the Bucks, it seemed like that was going to happen. And even in the year where they finally won, it felt like that might happen again. Because like people, I think people generally forget that at the beginning of the, that playoff run, like Giannis could not hit a free throw, you know, yeah. and like it seemed like they were going to lose because of that. And uh, and then people are like, oh, is are the Bucks going to be? Like, did they miss their window? Like, is Giannis really a champion, et cetera, et cetera? Those same conversations are happening about the Suns. And, like, I don't quite understand them because, like, what I see is just, like, a team that is never going to lose in the regular season, really, because they execute so well. And that they don't even necessarily need Chris Paul to be, like, 100% of what Chris Paul was in the past few years because, like, you would think that the younger players – 
are just going to get better, right? And that be- Booker is probably going to get better. Like Booker just seems to be like an unusually committed and dedicated player. And, um, you know, like they're two games away from winning two years ago, right? Last year, obviously, they had that horrible flame out. But, um, you know, they weren't the only team that had like a horrible game seven. Like last year was just kind of weird. And I just think that like they're like a fringe. They're not as they're nowhere close to the top three for me. But I do think like I would not be stunned if they won like 60 games and, you know, made a deep run in the playoffs again. Yeah, I think I think that's the best case scenario for them. I think this is one of those cases of me just just wanting to be right. So I've dropped them. I've dropped them pretty low. Um, I actually in, in my next tier um, of teams, I kind of just called them like wildcard teams because um, I'm not sure where they're going to end up. I have New Orleans and Minnesota in here because like I'm I'm really high on New Orleans, um, especially if Zion is healthy. I think David Griffin weirdly has just like built a really good team uh there and like minnesota obviously got that kind of top end talent i don't i don't really trust them in the playoffs like after seeing like cat um now they and they don't have patrick beverly now (laughs) yeah they don't have (laughs) but like i i I think it's a class the minnesota thing is like classic i don't think we need to overthink it like they just have so much talent up top that i think they're gonna be a really good regular season team but I think New Orleans of the two is more interesting to me because I can really see them being like a top three, top four team in the West. I have Minnesota, like, okay, I, nothing would stu- nothing would shock me with the Minnesota, with the Timberwolves this year. Yeah. If they were the two seed, I would not be that shocked, you know, just because of what you said. They just have so much talent, right? If they struggled and they were the seven seed and they got booted in the play-in, I would not be that shocked either because, like, they have – two players in Russell and Cat that are like highly suspect. In my, in my, Yo, that's a, I wish Kyrie went there. I, I think that that would be so sick if Kyrie was there. Um, and like they look, they have all this talent, right? And that talent, except for the year that like Jimmy Butler was there, right? Has not really ever overachieved. And um being like the two seed in the West or three seed in the West, like that would be like an overachievement, I think, even with Gobert. And like, I don't know, like sometimes I am a bit suspicious when these teams who are like have a lot of bad defensive players plug like the best defensive player in the league in there and they're like, now everything's going to be solved. Like sometimes it's not like that. Like, you know, defensive defense is like a team type of thing. And if they're just going to be like, oh, well, now we can play even less defense because it's going to all funnel, funnel down to a, rudy right like i don't know like maybe that just doesn't work right or maybe people rudy's old now maybe like he he's lost a step because of you know he finally get, he's he's highly paid and like you know like he's going to be on this team for the rest of his career like i don't know like it's just it's just like a lot of uncertainty there but i do agree that sort of 90th percentile outcome for them is like very very good you didn't put the Grizzlies in. Are you are you out on the Grizzlies? Yeah, kind of. I put Dallas, Memphis, and Phoenix on like the next tier. Like okay. to me, those teams. I feel like, um, I guess I'm 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 predicting all of them to kind of take a step back in the standings this season. Mm-hmm. Like those are the teams that I can see. So New Orleans, Minnesota. I think to me, I think kind of like you said. Like I wouldn't be shocked if either of those teams were, were the two seed, or I also wouldn't be shocked if they were like fighting for a playing spot. Yeah. Um, or, or like in the play-in. That's why I, I, I kind of put them in their own tier. And then I kind of see Dallas, Memphis, and Phoenix as kind of like just in that like four, five, six kind of slot. Because like oh, Dallas, yeah. I think losing, I mean, Dallas just, they, they just don't have a good roster. Like they just don't, I, I think Luka's going to win MVP. 
Um, cause I think there's a, there's a narrative push there for him and he's on the perfect team where he's going to just average a ridiculous, uh, number, uh, just like stats and Memphis. I mean, I think they're missing. I mean, Jaron Jackson's going to be out for the start of this season. And I just, yeah, like I, I like that young group, but like, I don't know, man, maybe I'm very colored by that Memphis Minnesota series. Cause I came out of the series just being like, wow, like neither of these teams, like uh, th- both these teams just like have a lot of room to just like have to grow. To, I know that was like it. watching, uh, you know, like that was watching like Mickey Ward versus like uh, Arturo Gotti or something like that. Or, or <laughs> yeah, watching, I, don't, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't watch any boxing. So I don't uh, even watching, know that like, reference. Bra- yeah. Brandon Rios versus Mike Alvarado. <laughs> like it, these are like not good boxers who would just yeah. beat the <laughs> shit yeah, but- And it would be wildly entertaining because they were like just throwing haymakers. But then you're just like, if any good boxer got in with a like Arturo Gotti, for example, fought like a young Floyd Mayweather and like yeah. Floyd, like, humiliated them you've never seen like a more humiliating um like uh fight in your life where it's just like he didn't touch floyd you know and floyd just beat him up and it's like like yeah. that's like that's what the grizzlies that's what the grizzlies uh wolf series felt like to me i was like these teams are not good but this is highly entertaining. But, yeah but i'm also like i watched the grizzlies against the warriors and like i know dylan brooks had a couple of cu- couple of tough games and it's like i'm like man the best version of this team uh, could have probably beaten them like in a seven game series. Like there's right, there's right. a scenario there. I think I'm not even that down on Memphis. It's just that like they finished second last season. Uh just by the fact that I think Denver and the Clippers are gonna make a jump and, and putting even New Orleans and Minnesota as well. I think just by default that's gonna put them like in the fifth and or, or sixth spot like right away. Yeah, I agree. And you would expect some jaw regression where it's like, okay, is he really like uh is it really possible that a guy who plays this style is one of the five best players in the NBA? Like, I would probably say no, you know? Um, it seems like the history of that is, like, I, I, I can't really, like, what, Derrick Rose, I guess, one season, right? Like, um, sure. like it's hard to it's hard to think that, that he's going to be that great. Although, you know, Ja is a much better passer than Derrick Rose ever was. Um, the Mavericks, do you believe this, like, like you know, you're talking about their roster depth issues. Do you believe this, like, uh, nobody wants to play with Luka narrative? Because I, I kind of, I'm like 60% into it. <laughs> really? Well, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just look at it kind of like James Harden in Houston, where, like, it's just not fun. Yeah. Like, like how well the thing is like i don't think it's nobody wants to play with them but it's like what kind of players can you get to play with them right because like i have friends that always ask me like who would be the ideal like number two star next to luca and i can't really think of anyone just because of how ball dominant he is yeah um like i guess it would have to be like a big scotty Um, barnes (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no but it's like it, it it'd have to be like a big that you can like throw the ball down to if you're talking about like an Embiid or something which yeah. like it's a player they're obviously not going to get so like I, I think I think they're building the team the way that they can I mean the Porzingis thing really messed them up because now they're just like in this like you know process of just like running through the contract so they get like Dinwiddie back and they have Bertans and like they're fine enough players but it's like every player on that team is like a Dwight Powell or like a Tim Hardaway Jr. right, um, right or like or a Max, Dorian Finney-Smith Max like I like those guys but right. it's like reminds me a lot too of like LeBron's first run in Cleveland um where you just felt like they were just leaving a lot of stuff off the table with the roster but I, I guess I don't know like do you have an answer to like if you if you could pick any star in this league to pair with like Luka who would it be based on like their playing style 
Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe somebody like Scotty Barnes, right? Who could yeah, who like could a versatile like wing type player. Yeah, pick up defensively and could play yeah. a bunch of different positions. Um, and doesn't seem to need the ball. Mobley, maybe you know, yeah. like somebody yeah, no, sort no, of those plays types. I just, perfectly. I also think like Brunson. Brunson was like huge for them. Like that's a huge loss. That's like the yeah, biggest that loss of the offseason. Yeah, like so. and they didn't really replace him. And like, but like you know, like a, like the ideal player I think would have been like Kevin Garnett, right? Where, yeah. Like a Kevin Garnett player with Luca would have been amazing because like he doesn't need to stand in the paint, right? Like in the way that some of the other big men do. So he's not blocking off. But it's it's tough because like I actually do think that it's hard for other players to really, especially younger players who are trying to get their numbers up so that they can get their contracts right. Like mm-hmm. it kind of it's not great to play with that guy, and I guess Brunson is the counterexample. But like his contract is so weird anyway that like it's kind of hard to even use as like an example right like like Shaq used to get every single person he played with paid right like that yeah. was his thing and he would say like oh but everyone gets paid when they play with which is true yeah. you know? Jason <laughs> Jason Kidd did that too right like with the Kenny right right right. Yeah. right but like Luca is not gonna get like his no. teammates paid and I think that's probably the biggest um that's got to be the biggest uh draw for some of these players to come you know they're always thinking about their next contract i would too you know like of course you're thinking about your next contract like you're not thinking like oh if i ride with this guy then i'll get to be a title i'll I'll win a title and that'll be good for my legacy that's the type of thing you think after you get your contracts you know but um it's just it's just hard to think about i think they're just gonna have to get lucky in the draft basically yeah 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 probably um next tier uh, i i just have the lakers in here um as as the most dramatic like 43 win team like i can't i keep thinking like i want to give lebron like listen man like you mentioned like i've watched him against the raptors like you know so many times in the playoffs and like sometimes i still sit down and i'm like man like a team with lebron and even anthony davis which i think a lot of people are just like really low on at this point i'm like there's no way they're gonna be a terrible team but then i look at the rest of the roster and i'm like i can't i just can't see any like realistic path for them to actually be a good team yeah man that one's tough yeah i think um i don't i want to believe in lebron but you know now it's been two straight years of disappointment and uh like anthony davis is awesome i think anthony davis will be fine this year um he'll probably get hurt some but it, it won't be like last year where it's just like what is going on with this guy um but I have a hard time believing that they're going to be good too. And again, like their, their range is basically like they could be one of the worst teams in the West or they could be the five seed. And that's like, that seems like their range of outcomes, which is very wide, but um, you know, it doesn't have a particularly high ceiling. I mean, like what are they going to do with like the warriors? (laughs) No, they just don't. What are they going to do? There's not a single, there's not a single player. There's not a single player on that team where you're like, oh, like that's a young player with a really high ceiling. Like I think their yeah. most hyped up guy is like Austin Reeves. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, Austin Reeves is definitely their most hyped up player. <laughs> Which, right yeah, and, and they've got that's... they've got they brush Dennis Schroeder back now, um, which which is kind of hilarious too. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think LeBron's got another run in him, 
and it's gonna be like the craziest like you know story for like two months but i don't know i don't know if it's gonna be this year though i think he wants like a serena type moment you know he'll i think he'll have one of those i think he'll have that hopefully it won't be like that one where i thought the serena thing was awesome but like it also was like okay you know People were so happy that she won a first round match. You know, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, like it was a little too much. I just don't want to This this goes back to the other thing that bothers me now is like you know, um, like I was watching like the Aaron Aaron Judge like the home run chase, um, and I was like, this is not like have we have you guys never seen anything important before? Like <laughs> you know what I mean though. Like you yeah. live through like you know Bonds, McGuire, Sosa. Like those are real like cinematic events. Like this yeah. to me was not that big of a deal. Like I get, yeah, it. I, I get it's the that. Yankees. Like I get it's the Yankees and all. I get why it received the attention that it got. But like, I, I, I do think the Serena thing did warrant that much attention. Yes, but, the Serena thing. Was, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But I think, I think people just overdo it in general now, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This, you can celebrate Serena, Serena's career too, right? Like all, all her other, you know, accomplishments, and just enjoy right. this final tournament. And she did beat the number two player in the world. Yeah, like, well, who the, am I kidding? Like, I did watch all the games. Right. Yeah. The women's the women's rankings are really screwed up, and like you know, like yeah. basically everyone's the same. And um, I actually and, felt bad for the I actually felt bad for her opponents. Um, oh yeah, to, to just well, be put under that duress. But I'm like, maybe this is good experience for them. I think it's good experience, and I also just think like some of them when they probably three days later they probably thought that was pretty cool, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, and in the moment, like. Uh, yeah, they're upset, but you know these are competitive people who just lost, um, and of course they're upset. You know, and like each one of them like tried really hard. You know, like tennis is interesting because sometimes you just don't have it, and then you you know somebody just basically like wins six one six one, and like, you know, like it's just like well that was mm-hmm. easy. like uh, everyone who played Serena like really brought it. You know, and they really tried. And like when you lose that type of thing, and everyone's rooting against you, like of course it's emotionally like harmful in the in the moment like but um you know i think a few days later you're just like i'm glad i could be part of history like i don't know that's how i would take it but i'm not a very competitive person so like i don't know yeah no i just wanted to use the platform to complain about the aaron judge (laughs) i just thought that was just ridiculous um yeah it was ridiculous all right two more tiers tier five i've got sacramento and portland as like uh contenders for the play-in Oh, like, thank you. Yeah, thank you. No, I yeah, I didn't even know you were like a huge Kings guy now, but like, no, I it just started this, last year. Yeah, I think Kings fan, <laughs> Kings fans are like pretty excited about this team, right? Well, like relatively they're excited about Keegan Murray. Yeah, they're excited about the way that De'Aaron Fox played after uh, Sabonis came in and after Halliburton went and Heald went out. Right. Yeah. I mean, Fox was great, and I think they're excited about the coaching this year, which like is you know a strange type of thing. And like last year, yeah, yeah, last year they had absolutely no, their roster made no sense. They had like no wings on their team outside of Harrison Barnes, you know, like Mm -hmm. literally nobody. Right. And then this year the roster makes a little bit more sense. And like, you know, like some of the players who are good players who are supposed to be role players, like, I don't know, like Rishwan Holmes or something like that. Like that's probably going to be more of their role this year. And like, I think that there's a very big surge of enthusiasm because, of Keegan Murray's summer, summer league. 
<laughs> like I was really mad they took Keegan Murray and not Jaden Ivey. You know, I was just like, what are you doing? Right? Like everybody. Yeah, they got picked. ripped. They got ripped for that pick on draft night. Right, and now everyone's like, oh, like I don't know. I was like in a fantasy league, and like Keegan Murray, like, uh, like was like the second rookie taken, I think. You know, and like people are very, very up on him, and I think they just want like. I, I think it's mostly about Fox maybe like being what they wanted Fox to be, right? Because that was like the player they were most excited about since like basically DeMarcus Cousins. And if he is, and if the team like can win like 41 games or something like that, then I think people would take that any day of the week. You know, they just want to have like one playoff game, you know, <laughs> basically. So um, they're very excited and like as they should be, I think, because like this is definitely the, this is the most, this is the biggest this is the most positive I think that the outlook has been for the team in like years and years and years. Yeah, and and Portland, I don't know if there's you have any interest about Portland. I, I don't I don't really know what they're doing with that team. I, I feel like Dame was supposed to leave and he just did it. Yeah, I um, think so and, too. And now he's I, just there. I think so. Dame is like I don't know. I think I think Dame basically. If you want to understand why Dame's doing it, you have to basically live in Portland and understand that like there are perks and there is sure. a type of local legacy there because the fans love the team that much. Where if you are like without any question at this point the greatest player in league his- in the franchise's history, and if you um, are beloved by like everybody basically in the Pacific Northwest. Um, like you're just going to be the king of that area forever, and maybe that's like appealing to Dame in a way, right? And I do think that like it is him sort of title chasing is not appealing to him, and that uh, I don't know he has a strange reputation in the league where he's like I think he's like one of the most beloved players in the entire league period, you know, um, and like he's had those moments that you know two dagger shots that like sort of define him. And maybe he just thinks that's enough, you know, like maybe it's just like, okay, like that's, that's, that's just going to be where I'm at. But if he thinks he's going to like, if he thinks that this franchise is going to figure out a way to put like a title contender on him, then like, you know, then he's just being delusional. But I don't, I don't think that he does. Yeah. I felt like he was a perfect, um, perfect, like a uh, next star to end up on the Lakers. Yeah. Um, but I guess, I don't know. By the time, by the time he, if he does actually move out, then I think he'll 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 be too old at that point. Uh, last year, just the Victor Wembanyama teams. I'm actually not interested in any of these guys. Uh, San yeah, Antonio, I mean, yeah. OKC, Houston, and Utah. Um, yeah, they're yeah. just all going to be tanking all year. I think. Yeah, the tanking will be very interesting though, because I feel like it's going to be pretty intense tanking this year, especially after how he played last week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they should tank. Honestly, like half the teams in the league should tank at this point. You know, like the Kings should probably tank <laughs> because they, like, uh, like I don't know. If you can't win the title this year, this would be the year to tank. Especially if you get off to a bad start, you know, and you're not that good of a team anyway. Like, let's say, like, like, like what if like Portland gets off to like and they're four and ten, you know? Yeah. Like, no, I think probably, I think you got to call the tank in like early too, right? Because yeah, it's going to be yeah. really competitive. Right. Then like you can just be like, Dame, we want to save your body. We were gonna bring this we're gonna maybe bring this like Wembanyama guy and then like the last five years of your career are gonna be playing with him trying to actually win a title. You know, like that I don't know. Like that type of thing seems more logical to me than than not tanking. Even though I hate tanking, like this year it makes a lot of sense to me. No, I hate tanking. Can you do a story on how only white GMs get to tank? 
Um, <laughs> this is a this is a theory that I've uh, you know I've uh, I've thrown out there. Yeah, that's probably true. That's I'm probably just saying, true. man. They they're the ones with the job security. Um, yeah. All right, I'm just gonna quickly predict the order for the Western Conference because we have this uh, Twitter account Wong Shradamus who tracks all my predictions. So in order, right. I'm gonna have them. I'm gonna have Golden State, Clippers, Denver, New Orleans, Minnesota, Dallas, Phoenix, Memphis, Lakers, Portland, Sacramento, San Antonio. Houston, OKC, and Utah. So please, please track that long, Stradamus. All right, JK, I know I've kept you for quite some time here. Do you want to just quickly give me your five most interesting players that you're looking forward to this season before we wrap? Yes, I will. Um, okay. All right. The verse is Terry Eason, you know. Who, <laughs> Wait, uh... who is this? I don't even know this player. <laughs> I didn't know who he was until yesterday either. But who then is I started. This? Um... <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me, like, you know, like Jamal Murray or something. <laughs> no, no, no. Terry Eason is like a rookie on the Rockets. Who okay. John Lucas said is a better Dennis Rodman. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I think he fit up 21 and 17 last night. I think, like, there's yeah. – uh, I'm only into this because I was in this, I'm in this very intense fantasy basketball league. And Terry yeah. Eason was, like, pick, like, 40 picks before anyone else thought he was going to be by, like, a guy who, like, does a whole bunch of uh basketball modeling stuff you know um he does he he came up with the darko system um mm. uh shout out to con but like he picked terry eason like so early and i was like who is terry eason and then i started reading about him but like it seems like you know like there's like a very good quant argument about terry eason so i'm very interested in him Lamelo is the one I'm most interested in uh, of any player in the league. Like, is Lamelo going to actually become like there was like a? Do you remember like a few two years ago or something like the ESPN did their like most valuable assets type of column or whatever, right? Or best players under 25 or something, and Lamelo was number two behind Luca, hmm. um, like above like Tatum and stuff like that. And like I believed it at the time because I was like, what can't this guy do? Right, like, is he just gonna be like a guy who puts up um, a lot of stats, wins, you know, in his best years, wins forty games or something like that, and that you can't really build teams around, even though he's super unselfish? Or is he gonna just be a guy who can by himself drag teams to the playoffs? Like, I think both of those outcomes are like up in the air this year. I love Lamelo. I hope he does the thing. You know, I hope he gets to like a super competitive type of level. But right now, like, I don't know. You know, it's up in the air. Um, Kaminga yeah, is my. Ne- oh, go yeah, ahead. I think, yeah, with, I think with Lomelo too, it's so situational because, like, imagine if he was like on the Hawks instead of Trey Young. Yeah, yeah, or if he was like on a good team, like yeah. with you know, like any yeah. of the like. Imagine if the Warriors had drafted him instead of Wiseman. You know, like, know. are you really saying that he couldn't have fit in with like the guy is so talented and so unselfish? He could fit in with any with any team. You know, like um. And he would have been a huge part of the Warriors, I think, right? Like, like it's not there's like I think people like sort of overestimate like, oh, there's not enough ball to go around when the players that you have are like unselfish, you know? Like, I think that it just makes it better. Yeah, um, Kaminga's your next guy. Yeah, Kaminga. I I just want Kaminga to be good, you know? Like, I just because I mostly hate draft analysis stuff, and so I just wanted the guy that everyone thought was plus <laughs> to be actually good. Um. Jimmy Butler is my next one. Like, I think that this year, if if stuff in Miami starts going bad, then we're going to, you know, I don't know. I hope that, like, Jimmy Butler ends up on another team um, where he can kind of be the guy. But, like, 
he's interesting to me just because like he's getting a little bit older i think like maybe last year or the year before was like the best jimmy butler we're gonna see and i'm actually just interested to see how he declines you know because i think it i think it could be kind of quick and yet also he's like such a smart player that it's difficult to really see but like yeah. he's like the he's like the exact type of player where I'm just like okay he's not quite good enough to drag these rosters to win the finals but like he's also really really good and like i just i don't know like i just enjoy watching him play no i love i love watching jimmy and like low key he's become like the most clutch player oh yeah of like this era Uh, you know at least amongst like players of his like in his tier and like i guess no one really deserves to win a championship or like there's no better deserving players but like i i really think he deserves a title like yeah, he's dragged so many teams um, I, and even I, last I, I year really almost, he, had he almost beat boston like how like you know like Giannis without chris middleton had to go to seven games um you know against boston and somehow jimmy did the same with like a oh yeah trash roster yeah yeah with like basically um bam like kind of being almost unplayable for parts of it offensively yeah and lowry just kind of like Blinking in and out of consciousness. Yeah. Pressure Press is a true is better than Bam, by the way. Um, <laughs> is that what Raptors? <laughs> well, I mean, there might be some truth to it. We might have to explore that this season. But that's oh, that's, that, can, that's one of the propaganda you, items. You too. can shoot, right? Like that's the thing. <laughs> um, and then De'Aaron Fox, just for, you know, as part of my Kings nice. fandom, I, nice. I really want De'Aaron the sort of potential of De'Aaron Fox that people thought existed two two and a half years ago to be realized. You know. I do think he was kind of messed up by them drafting like all these guards, right? And um, and I think that you know I believe in the in the in his second half last year. Like I think he might make you know I think he might make the All Star team this year if the Kings are good, you know. And I just hope all of that happens because like I always think like we started to dismiss players a little bit too early in the in the league. Mm-hmm. I remember, like everyone's like, "Oh, Devin Booker's good stats, bad guy, uh, bad team type of guy." Like, same thing was said about Brandon Ingram for a long time, right? And like, yeah. like these guys, like it takes them sometimes a while to develop. Like they're so young when they get in the league, and like it's hard if they're in bad situations on <laughs> teams. Like it's very hard for them to figure some of this stuff out. But like, I just hope that Fox is like the next player. Like, oh, I don't know, like you know, like Levine or DeRozan or like, uh, um or Booker, these guys who are seen as like good stats, bad team guys, right? Like they're like, oh, well, they don't really know how to play basketball. They just put up stats. Like I, I just hope that that Fox is the next guy in that because I think he's very entertaining to watch. Yeah, no, I, I love that list, man. Um, all right, before I let you go, so when's the, when's the 30 for 30 doc coming out? Is there a date? Uh, it's coming out next year. Um, we don't have an official release date yet, but, you know, it's contingent on some like festival stuff that we're hoping that we can get into but uh yeah it should be out next year yeah because michael chang like obviously i was familiar with him growing up but i think he was like just kind of before my era Um, right so i'd like watch him play but didn't really follow his story so i'm really looking forward to it and i think based on like the description that you put out and i think based on people familiar with your work um you know this is going to dive into more than just like his career um i'm assuming Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the documentary is uh it is centered around like this very famous match that Michael played in 1989 against Ivan Lendl in the fourth round of the US or the French Open. You know, it's like considered one of the great tennis matches ever. 
Michael was cramping up. He's 17 years old. Lendl is like the number one player in the world. And Michael figures out a way to win in five sets, right? And it featured like an underhand serve, all this sort of stuff that you can see on YouTube. But um, that, that match was happening the day after the Tiananmen Square crackdown, right? Hmm. And Michael was like bombarded with questions <laughs> about like, well, what do you think about what's happening in China, you know? And like, he's 17, right? Like he grew up in America. He, he, he's trying to process all of this, right? In a very earnest and way. Like Michael, Michael is like a very earnest and like nice person, you know? And he's trying to process all of this. His mother is trying to process all of this. Obviously she is an immigrant to the United States and she like understands it much. She's going through something very different than he is, right? And so the film is a lot about that moment, right? And a lot of it is about, and, but there's a lot of fun tennis stuff in it too, which is just like, if you want to see like, you know, 16-year-old Jim Currier playing 14-year-old Michael Chang, like we've got that in there too, you know? Like, or if you want to see like 10-year-old Pete Sampras running around, like we've got that too, you know? So um, yeah, we, we wanted, it, the, the, the focus of the film though is on that, is on that one match in 1989 and, um, you know, sort of how, how, people get processed like uh, when they're, you know, supposed to be the only one or they're supposed to be like the, the, the sort of symbol for their people, you know? And um, obviously like that's where like Jeremy's insights are like very, very, very relevant, you know? Like, uh, like that's a trip, you know? Like if people like came up to me tomorrow and they're like, you're the symbol for the Asian people, I'd be like, I am not. (laughs) Peace out, you know? Like I don't want anything to do with any of that. But, you know, the thing is that people don't have the choice, right? Like they're thrust into it. And so, um, you know, the film is about all of that. And like, I don't know. It was very cool to make. I had like an amazing team. Um, that I was working with that was sort of holding my hand through the process. But I think that in the end, we made like a pretty good film. I'm excited for everyone to watch it. Yeah, no, I'm excited to check it out, man. I I love sports talks, especially on like stories where I think it's going to fill in a lot of blanks for me. Well, Jay Kang, listen, man, I appreciate you. Um, You should come back on during the season, man. Oh, yeah, anytime, man. We should catch up. We should catch up like this a couple of times during the season, man. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you want me on, um, let me know. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Make sure everybody go buy The Loneliest Americans now out in paperback. Follow Jay Kang on Twitter at Kang. Subscribe to Time to Say Goodbye. I'll be back later this week with more season preview content. JR, hit the outro music. <laughs>